0: From the inside out. When we're living congruently with our values, there's happiness because there is that sense of wholeness. Wholeness is when the way of your being matches the truth of your being. Join me as we discuss the Fifth Agreement chapters one and two by Don Miguel Ruiz and Don Jose Ruiz. Chapter 1's title is In the Beginning, and it begins with, From the moment you are born, you deliver a message to the world. What is that message? The message is you, that child. It's the presence of an angel, a messenger from the infinite in a human body. I love that beginning. This is one of my favorite books, and I hope that as we go through out this series, it'll become one of your favorites too. One of the first things they want to teach you in this book is the idea of understanding symbology, they call it. And when you understand symbology, you understand that we that shows up as um, letters, and those letters make sounds. Those are symbols. Letter T is not a reality or a truth, but we agree upon this letter T that says ta. These are the symbols that we use to describe our world. And when you really begin to understand and, and expand the idea of a symbology as far as what we experience in this world, it opens things up, not only so that you can begin to interpret things in your own fashion, but also that you just see things from different perspectives it's easy to connect with people because you understand the idea that these symbols can show up differently. We even have a money is a good symbol, you know, that uh, it's not until we completely understand that that $5 bill is very different from the $100 bill. The $5, the symbol of that five gives you more than or less than the symbol of the 100. So, It's not that the paper's more valuable. It's not that that number has uh, any specific weight to it. It's all about the symbolism of that paper, that $5 and that $100. He says in the book, every word that we learn is a symbol for something real or imagined. And there are thousands of words to learn. So the way that we go throughout the words, the world with our vocabulary is the way that we understand each other. We have the symbol of the word, but we also have meaning behind it. The meaning is what gives a lot of weight to those symbols. Um, for instance, when I was younger, I remember my mom, she said this a few times, so it must have been important to her. But for her, when she was young, <clears throat> they were not allowed to use the word hate like hate was kind of like a a bad word that she would get in trouble for as a child. That hate was a very strong word, and it was something that she felt a little guilty about when when it showed up. You know, when when the word hate came into the into her express into her experience, she felt a twinge. I did not have that same twinge. So when I said, "Oh, I hate cheeseburgers," she, that kind of jolted her. Felt like I had done something. Bad, and I really admired the fact that she recognized that that it was the symbol that was causing her some distress, and not the reality. She never, I didn't get in trouble for using hate, but she, but I knew that it was affect it affected her differently. So, do you see how not only is the the symbol the word hate, but the meaning behind it, the meaning was very strong for her, not as much for me, and we have those things in our in our lives. We, we have those things that hold a different meaning than, than for other people. He talks about in the book that we live in this punishment and reward system. This is how we learn about these symbols. We learn by punishment and reward. And he uses the word domestication. So it's very true that we learn how to act and how to be through a reward, which can be anything from a smile or a, a look of acceptance to that scowl, or even maybe as a child would even get, we'd even get a spanking or a timeout or something like that. This is how we learned what was appropriate, what was inappropriate, through this punishment and reward and through domestication. He'll use that word a lot when we go through domestication, which is our training, our way that we are taught to understand how these symbols, what these symbols are, what they mean, how we should think about them. We're only taught what the generation before us knew and believed. And we put a lot of emphasis on that, but the reality is, is, is that things get passed down from generation to generation, whether good or bad. And it's just important to distinguish between the a validity of those things around the world. They can be completely true for us on an individual basis, but we have to understand and own that we create that truth more than the truth stands there and and we have no choice choice about it. We we are given it in a way. Just like pets or farm animals are domesticated, we become domesticated in our individual societies about what's acceptable and what's not. And we do it through what he calls the attention. But he says in the book, we believe that it is real, the things that we've been taught, because we give it a life through the power of our faith, which means we believe without a doubt. When our mom points at a tree and says tree, we believe it. We we don't doubt it. Let me start over with the quote. We believe that it's real because we give it life through the power of our faith, which means we believe it without a doubt what that voice is telling us. When we learn these symbols, we learn them through what he calls the attention. So whatever, it has to come to our attention in order for us to learn some things. Otherwise, it kind of passes us by. So the intention is there. He uses that word attention. It's what we are, what's what's right in front of us. So I'll give you an example. Let's say that you... Walked around all day. I use this example quite a bit. You you've walked around all day, and you've had a piece of paper or something stuck to your back, and you didn't know that it was there. So you went through your whole day, and because you didn't know that it was there, you walked around your day um, just like any other day. So two scenarios at the end of the day. One scenario, you just as you're walking into the door, the paper falls off and you go you've never know that 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 was there the whole day you have no reference to any embarrassment you have no reference to to anything that people that even gave you a, a strange look you just thought something was wrong with them or something right it didn't occur to you it wasn't in your attention that you had this piece of paper stuck to the back of you if you walked into the door and discovered that you had this paper stuck to you the whole day you go back and relive the day Understanding all the looks and all of the strangeness that happened that day, maybe even to a fault, maybe you even go overboard onto the meaning of what happened in the day because you had this piece of paper stuck to you, but it's because you had it was in your attention or awareness is another great word because it was in your awareness or not makes all the difference in your reaction to it so our attention is always trying to be hooked, is what he would say. As our attention starts to become aware of what is true and what is wrong and what is good and, and what is all of these symbols, you know, what letters are, what numbers are, what pictures are, all of them are symbols to the thing when I use the word tree the T-R-E-E is not the truth of the tree. It's a symbol for that tree. Or if I draw a picture and show you a picture of a tree, that is a symbol of the tree. It's not the tree. But we're in order to go through life, we're, we're being taught these symbols. I, I hope that makes sense. And little by little, our attention gets hooked and we start to believe that we should think this way, we should look this way, we should behave this way. And... It starts to kind of create something in us that is not our true selves. So he says before domestication, now remember domestication is that training. So before domestication, we don't care what we are or what we look like. Our tendency is to explore, to express our creativity, to seek pleasure and avoid pain. As little children, we are wild and free. We run around naked without self-consciousness or self-judgment. We speak the truth because we live in truth. Our attention is in the moment. We are not afraid of the future or ashamed of the past. After domestication, we try to be good enough for everybody else. We are no longer good enough for ourselves because we can never live up to our image of perfection. Through these symbols, we begin to understand what the expectations are and little by little we feel like we might not live up to this expectation. So all of this is kind of background as to what we'll be going into. But we have to understand that the that that the idea of what these symbols mean come because of agreement. We agree that the $5 is worth worth more or worth less than the $100. That's an agreement that we make that we all kind of agree to. And that's how our society is built, through these agreements. Our domestication, so remember that domestication is learned, again, remember that punishment and reward. And this punishment and reward teaches the meaning of good, bad, beautiful, ugly, skinny, fat, smart, stupid. All of this stuff is learned. Because as a child, like in the quote, a child doesn't know that they don't care about these things. In fact, I've heard so many times if if, if if an adult were to walk into a kindergarten room and ask the kids in kindergarten how many of you draw, almost all the hands would all go up. I draw. You go into an adult and ask them who would draw. Only the people that would consider themselves good artists would probably raise their hand. That judgment is just not there. So, what has happened between kindergarten and adulthood? is called domestication, is what he's saying, because we've decided this is what's acceptable, this is what's not acceptable. And we learn it by punishment and reward. And it may never occur to us that our idea of good and bad or beautiful and ugly were in need of question. But there have been other times in history where this agreement about these things were very different. For instance, in the early 1900s, when we were moving from living on farms to going into the factories, and we started to have uh, different kinds of society, right? Everybody wasn't just on the farms growing their own food. We had different kind of levels of society for the first time, at least here in America, during the nineteen early 1900s. And it was very popular. A larger woman was a good thing of pride for the husband because it gave him proof that he was making enough money to support her And that she didn't need to work or she didn't need to burn calories and that they also had an abundance of food. So a a woman that had some curves on her in the late 1800s, early 1900s was the status symbol was, you know, to be to have that um, a little bit of weight mean meant that you were higher in society where today maybe a thin, perfect wife would be a a trophy, let's say, for the husband, because he can afford for her to go and take the time she needed to go to the gym or to get the expensive facial and body treatments of the day. You know, do so you see how the agreement about what is a a woman of of the days, you know, this woman that's being cared for, what that looked like in a hundred year period of time, changed drastically. The agreement about which one was better or less than shifted so the truth is somewhere in 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 the way that we are creators of it in in certain circumstances a side note i want to just bring up about a punishment and reward system is that it was something that i myself really had an aha moment of recently when we work with our children we get we really do have this punishment and reward we give them positive feedback or we withhold or give negative feedback in order to teach them i don't know if that's the best way but that's what's happening that's the best i had at the time it felt it feels like but what i realized is that one thing to really really question and question this idea that we do in our society is that in a punishment reward system when someone doesn't receive a reward then it automatically registers as to the psyche as a punishment and so i can see why there's lots of depression lots of anxiety because when we don't get the reward we register it as a as a punishment and that's something that i think we can work on as a society he talks about how at first when we're going through the world, when we're young, we're mimicking and we're just mimicking what we are taught. Think about some ways that we do this as an adult too. So we mimic, it's not really within us. And then when we begin to talk to ourselves within ourselves using the symbols, then we begin to think for ourselves instead of mimicking. He brings that, that up. So once we're to the point where we're talking to ourselves in symbol, and he even gives this example about he his native tongue is um, Spanish, and when he learned English, when he began to think and process in his own mind the English words, then he knew that he spoke fluent English. So when we do that, he says this is when we start to think And as we learn the symbols and agree upon their meanings, we begin to be hooked by them, he says. And he meaning that we believe those symbols, we believe in the fat or thin, and we believe in the stupid and smart without question. And those ideas speak in our minds. And he calls the speaking the voice of knowledge. And sometimes that knowledge, that voice is our mother or father or brothers or sisters, and it pretty much doesn't stop talk, talking from that point on. Eckhart Tolle, he would call this the ego. And there's a really good book called The Untethered Soul that will help you figure out that voice of knowledge within you. It's in this voice of knowledge is not always our friend. Has it ever occurred to you to question the truths that you've been taught? Are you really as unacceptable as you think? Is there room for a different opinion there? the one of the first lessons I had in my spiritual awakening, whatever you want to call it, was to understand the difference between fact and opinion and facts are very much the minority, much more opinion than fact. In fact, we were driving along one day and I was talking to my husband about this, who at the time was very in his mind and logical thinking person. And he said, but there are things that are fact. There's so many facts And he said, there's gravity. And I laughed and I said, gravity is a perfect example. Gravity is a fact. There is gravity. But my interaction with gravity changes based on if I'm in an airplane or not. If I'm if I move outside of the Earth's atmosphere, gravity has a I'm interacting very differently with gravity. So although gravity is a fact, once my experience shows up with it, it changes. I, that's an extreme example, but it's just one of the ways that my mind thinks about things, at least, that there's always two parts. There's fact, but there's also the meaning I have with and the relationship I have with that fact is also very much a part of the experience that I would have with it. Moving on to chapter two. Chapter two's title is Symbols and Agreements, and that's why I kind of lump these together. They're, they're kind of similar. They, they kind of work together, and he, qu- he questions truth that we've kind of been talking about. The voice of knowledge is always talking, but who tells us what is true, he asks. He says when we go to grammar school, high school, and college, we acquire a lot of knowledge, but what do we really know? Do we master the truth? No, we master a language, a symbology, and that symbology is only the truth because we agree, not because it's really the truth. Wherever we are born, whatever language we learn to speak, we find that almost everything we know is really about agreements, beginning with the symbols that we learned. Kind of going back to chapter one, that's why I lumped them together in the idea of the tree, and we'll talk about this qu- quite a bit. If you were to go to another country and, and start saying the word tree, they might not, they don't have the same agreement with T-R-E-E. It has less meaning to them. In fact, you tell them tree, they're going to say, even if they know English, they might think about that word and even inside themselves translate it into to their language. He says, humans invent every sound, every letter, every graphic symbol. We hear a sound like A, and we say, This is the symbol for that sound. We draw a symbol to represent the sound. We put the symbol and the sound together, and we give it meaning. Then every word in our mind has meaning, but not because it's real, not because it's truth. It's just an agreement with ourselves. And with everybody else who learns the same symbology. Here he says: if we travel to a country where people speak different languages, we suddenly realize the importance and power of agreement. And money's a good thing with, with this. When we traveled outside the country, you know, we kind of don't know exactly what's a good deal, you know, whether this is costing a lot or not as much. In, in certain ways because the, the agreement on the value is different than what we're used to. And so you just kind of go with the flow and you give them the money you kind of hope they're, that you hope that they have enough integrity to be honest with you and give you the change back because you kind of don't know how it works. So if you look at it that way, that's the idea of, you know, what's the truth? You know, my agreement, if someone came to my country I got you. I, get, I, I know all about dollars and cents. But dollars and cents and, and money, the value of what things cost and, and how much they are, loses some point of agreement when we go outside our, our normal, what, we're, what we've been taught, what we're used to. So as we try and open this up, when we, when we do travel, when we go to different places, that's a great, great example, We learn things, we immerse ourselves in this culture and and all these agreements kind of change and it can can open us up. And he says in the book, new beliefs maybe clash with old beliefs and the doubt comes right away. What is right and what is wrong? Is it true what I learned before? Is it true what I'm learning right now? What is truth? The truth is that all of our knowledge, 100% of it, is nothing more than symbolism or words that we invent for the need to understand and express what we perceive. Every word in our mind and on this page, he says, is just a symbol, but every word has the power of our faith because we believe it in its meaning without a doubt. Humans construct an entire belief system made up of symbols. We build entire edifices of knowledge. Then we use everything we know which is nothing but symbology to justify what we believe or to try to explain first to ourselves, then to everybody around us, the way we perceive ourselves, the way we perceive the entire universe. What we will begin to discover, I hope at this point, is that the truth is beyond the symbols. The truth is in the meaning. And when we try to speak or use vocabulary words, Lots of things get in the way. Our our own experience gets in the way. What I hope you're beginning to understand that he's trying to teach is that truth is found beyond the symbols. The truth is in the meaning, or we'll find out later, perception. Our vocabulary words are very limited. When we try to describe the meaning of things, it kind of gets a little messy. And this is a foundation for the rest of the book, just to understand, to just Pull back all that we think we know and realize that what we know is really not the layer deeper of what it really is, but the symbology or the symbols. In the book, he shares the story in the Bible of Adam and God walking together, and God asks Adam what he wants to name everything. And he describes this as a good example because what Adam is perceiving as maybe a tree it's like two sides of the same coin. He perceives and sees a tree and then he names it tree. And that you've got this two sides of the same coin so you have the perception of the reality and then you have the symbol of the reality. And so they both work together but begin to see how there's a little bit of space in between those two. The tree itself doesn't identify as a tree. Our symbology is very complicated and because we've just learned and taught each other through the symbology there's maybe some layers attached that are getting in the way of pure communication and pure uh, connection and that these agreements aren't always the same if I asked you to think of a tree your picture would be different than mine and which one is true is yours true or mine's true but we wouldn't say I, uh, I wouldn't tell you your tree was a lie and we'll get to that word lie. He uses that word very strongly later in the book. I love the way he says that the thing that is perceived, he calls this science. And the interpretation, he calls art. Truth is both of these things. And it may be different for different people. This is very abstract. And it requires an understanding of paradox and how truth and and fiction may exist in the same place, and it also brings up feelings within ourselves of whether we want to just to go along with the agreements, or whether we're the type that needs to find out for ourselves. Are we more of a perception person, and we care about the perception, or are we more about the symbol? So there's a lot of room for individuality in in a sci- in this idea of science and art, and I, I love it. I think if we could see in some way if every decision we made if every step we took brought forth a color or a shape and then at the end it would be a beautiful piece of art and and so I love the way he your life is your art we can begin to look at other people's experiences as their art it's how they're showing up in the world and I, I think it's beautiful. He also points out that our definition of things may change according to our emotional state or mental state or physical state or even our spiritual state. Whatever that definition is is our interpretation or what he calls our reflection of the truth and he calls that reflection the human mind. Because it's reflection he likes to think about it as virtual reality. So it's kind of like it's reality but it's virtual because it's through our own eyes. It's through our own lens. And we will, there's a great, next time, there is a great part of the book, one of the best parts of the book where he really dives into this idea. But you can see in our world today that people act and they speak and communicate in a way that they often think that everybody else understands what they're saying, that we're always on the same page and that we're all thinking alike. And we get into trouble that way. And then we get in even more trouble when we don't get curious, when we when we don't get curious about another person's perspective. And we just assume everybody's agreements are, are all the same. It's really showing up in our society these days. It's important to get curious. That's why I think this book is important this time, because the words are so impactful right now. Things... Um, I'm not even going to get into it because I don't even want to get political on it, but there are, are certain words that bring up different feelings, different emotions with different people and strong emotions, but on both sides of, of the spectrum, a word might bring up a lot of pride for someone, a lot of fear for the next person, the same word. So I think One of the first steps in understanding each other is to understand, oh, that word means this to me because, and get curious with why it means something else to another. He talks in the book about the word and The word is the language, the speaking that we use in our life. It's how we, it's our voice or the way we speak. And I love this quote. The word is pure magic. And we learn to use our magic against ourselves, against creation, against our own kind. To be aware means to open our eyes to the truth. When we see the truth, we see everything just as it is, not the way we believe it is, not the way we wish it would be. Awareness opens the door to millions of possibilities. And if we know that we are the artist of our own life, we can make a choice from all those possibilities. That was something that was really powerfully taught to me, was this idea of opening all the possibilities. Once we let go of all these agreements about what is good, what is bad, if we open up all of those and just let the good and bad go then we have the ability to make a choice. And it doesn't mean that we don't follow a symbology that we've been taught, but when we follow that symbology, it has a whole new energy to it because we are using it to our advantage instead of just mimicking it, maybe. Instead of just going along and and being afraid of what everything else, everything that the symbology has told us to be afraid of. When we open all of that up, then that fear goes away. And then we we don't have to go there. We don't have to follow that possibility. But we're no longer afraid of it because we, we realize that if I was born in a different space, if I was born at a different time, whatever that thing that I was afraid of or that thing that I judge as being right or wrong, whatever, has a different meaning to it. So the truth of that gets just enough of some transparency to it that now I can begin to create my life on a higher level as part of my own my own life. And it becomes very, very powerful. That is what we have for chapter one and two. Next time, there is a fascinating... I do not miss the next one. The next chapter has a, a little thought experiment that will open you up to understand yourself and others in a whole new way. I love it. I'm grateful we have this time together. I'll see you next time.